Okay, good morning. My name's Liz. I'm part of the staff and leadership team here at RFC. It's good to be with you as we continue our sermon series in the book of Luke. If you've been tracking with us, you'll know that uh, Luke wrote this book um, having gathered eyewitness accounts of Jesus and he wrote down what he had learnt uh, so that we may have certainty. And we've been walking through Jesus's life, starting with his birth and then the temptation that he endured, seeing his life in Galilee as he was teaching and healing. Then we've seen him as he walked on the road to Jerusalem, hearing some of his parables, meeting the people that he encountered. And today we are arriving with Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. Now to date, we've moved in our sermon series through Jesus's life at quite a pace. We've done about 30 years of his life over 12 weeks. But now as we enter Jerusalem, we're gonna slow the story right down as we focus on the events of the last week of Jesus's life. So as we travel towards Easter, towards the cross, we're gonna put the brakes on as such and make sure that we don't miss any of the details of the surroundings of this last week of Jesus's life. So the passage that we're gonna look at today involves Jesus arriving at the outskirts of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that he would spend the final week of his life and ultimately the place where he would meet his death. And it's helpful for us to understand the scene of Jerusalem as Jesus arrives there. So it's Passover week. And so Jesus is not alone in arriving into this city. It's the opposite of a tumbleweed town. Now it's estimated that the population of Jerusalem would have been about 40 to 50,000 people. But during Passover week, it would swell to they think between one and three million people. Now Passover week was the key festival for Jews, a bit like Christmas is our key festival. And it was a time when they would remember the deliverance of God's people, the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh out of Egypt. They would come and offer sacrifices at the temple, which was in Jerusalem. So you can imagine with one to three million people, the place was buzzing. Think Reading Festival, but on a much larger scale, 10 times busier. And we all know if we lived in Reading, what Reading Festival week looks like. It is busy, traffic comes to a standstill, Tesco is out of most foodstuffs. If you want to go to the toilet at the Oracle, you've got a queue of 50 deep. And if you wanted to go out to eat, you need to have booked somewhere six weeks earlier. Well, Jerusalem was like that, but multiplied. The place was thronging. There wouldn't have been enough accommodation for everybody. So people would have camped in the gardens that surrounded the city. Merchants would come in to sell their wares. People selling food would come in because they had a huge captive audience before them. It would have also been highly charged as a city during Passover week because you'd have had hundreds of thousands of Jews, many passionately religious, as well as then the Roman uh, soldiers coming in and they were posted there to protect against trouble. They would have been deployed there for this week. So it was a potential tinderbox for trouble as you had a mi mixture of religious zealots and then Roman rule. So it's with that backdrop that Lily is going to read the passage to us. We're reading from Luke 19, verses 28 to 44. 
And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you'll find a cold tide, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees and the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that made for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So let's recap the story. Jesus is nearing Jerusalem with his disciples and he instructs two of his disciples to go ahead into a village and find a colt, that's a baby donkey, which he knows is going to be there, and he says to bring it to him. He tells his disciples, if you get asked what you're doing and dying this animal, say, the Lord has need of it. They do get asked what they're doing, but the owners give the colt to the disciples because the Lord has need of it. I wonder when the Lord needs your possessions, do you give quite so easily? It's a good question I've been asking myself. So with the colt in hand, the disciples return to Jesus and on it, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Now, up until now, Jesus has slipped under the radar of Roman rule. He's told people that he's interacted with not to tell others what he's been doing. But now he comes in publicly. He almost courts the attention of the masses as he enters the full view of the city. Remember how busy the city would have been. Multitudes of disciples were, were told, start rejoicing and praising God. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest, they shout. And then they start laying down cloaks for Jesus to walk over on the donkey. They're creating a metaphorical red carpet. Now, under Roman rule, to say Jesus is king was treasonous because Caesar was king. And to the religious Jewish, it was a blasphemous cry because only God is king. But to those who knew Jesus and were following him, what was happening before them resembled strongly a prophecy that a king would one day ride into Jerusalem. Hundreds of years before, a man called Zechariah had prophesied, a prophecy is the foretelling of something that's going to happen in the future, he'd prophesied this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. He shall rule, his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jewish people would have known this prophecy. They'd been watching and waiting for it to be fulfilled. And as they watch the scenes that unfold before them, they realize this is that. This scene that they're watching unfold before them of Jesus riding in on a donkey is that which was prophesied by Zechariah hundreds of years before. Jesus is the long-awaited king. He is the king who would bring peace, although he would bring it in a very different way than they'd expected. Now the Pharisees, who were the religious elite at the time, aren't impressed and they tell Jesus to silence his disciples, but Jesus keeps on going. And as he draws near to the city, he looks over it and weeps. He weeps at the brokenness of the city and its people. He weeps at the consequences that they will face because of their rejection of God. And then he prophesies himself of the city's downfall. You know, these scenes describe the procession of a king coming into his city. They describe the entrance of a king as he goes towards his throne, a throne which for Jesus would take the shape of the cross. And God designed every detail of these scenes to show us the kind of king that Jesus is. You know, just like you catch different angles of beauty as you turn a diamond, so too this King Jesus, as we look at him, different angles of him, we see different elements of beauty. And in this passage, we see different facets of his character. At each turn, we see something different of Jesus. I wonder what element of Jesus's kingship do you need to see afresh this morning? What angle needs to catch your gaze again? Perhaps you need to see that Jesus is the divine king. Or we could say he's the God king. In fact, he is the God who became king. King of a kingdom like no other. The glory, 
The glory of Jesus is evident as we see that he sovereignly knows where a cult will be for its use, his use on a very specific occasion for a very specific purpose. A scene that has been prophesied hundreds of years before. You don't write a story like that unless you are God. Jesus is the God King. He is the divine King and we see it here. Maybe today you need confidence again that Jesus is the divine King and that he knows all things. And so Father, I pray by the power of your spirit, please open the eyes of our heart that we would see again that your son Jesus is the divine King. He is the God King. Amen. Maybe today you need to see afresh that Jesus is a humble king. In most places throughout history, kings would be surrounded by pomp and pageantry. They would wear grand, elaborate clothing, brought in on a carriage if they're coming into their city. Jesus is a king, but he doesn't come in like that. He takes the transport of a colt, a young donkey. Zechariah prophesied it, your king will come humble and riding on a donkey. Donkeys were the animals of common people, of ordinary people. This king comes to serve and save the common, the ordinary, the oppressed. Jesus comes not with riches, but in poverty. He comes not with majesty, but in meekness. Jesus is the humble king. Do you need comfort today from the humble king? Jesus, we know that you are gentle and lowly in heart. I pray for a keen awareness of your kindness, of your tenderness right now for those of us who need to know that. Amen. Let's turn the diamond again. He's a righteous king. Again, Zechariah tells us that the king riding into Jerusalem is righteous. Now, Israel had had some pretty awful kings in its time. They were anything but righteous, some of them. But the very foundation of this king's throne is righteousness. Psalm 89 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness means that his rule, Jesus' rule, is always wise, it's always fair, it's always right. So I pray for those of us who need to know this morning, Jesus, that you are righteous. I pray, oh God, open our eyes to your righteousness. And I pray for righteous outcomes in situations that are bubbling across the church even today. May righteous outcomes come about, we pray. Amen. Do you need to know he's saviour, king? You know, as we look again at that Old Testament prophecy of Zechariah, we see it being fulfilled here in Jesus. Zechariah says this king will bring salvation. In accounts of other event, of the same event, but in other gospels, each of the writer, uh, writers record that the crowd shouted out, Hosanna, Hosanna literally means save us. Jesus comes to save us. He is saviour king. Jerusalem at this time, Passover week, was filled with people 
all there to slaughter lambs in remembrance of the salvation of God for his people from Egypt. And here coming into Jerusalem is the Lamb of God. He is the one who literally would save them through the shedding of his blood. Oh, Jesus, I pray for everyone who needs to know right now that you are Saviour King. Remind us that it's your blood that saves us from the angel of death, I pray. Amen. Do you need to see he's mighty King? The multitudes were praising and rejoicing in God for all the mighty works they had seen. They began to praise Jesus for all the things he'd done. They'd seen him casting out demons. They'd seen him feeding thousands miraculously. They'd seen him bringing sight to the blind, healing lepers, calming storms, rebuking fevers, bringing fish into catch. In John's gospel, we literally see that just before this event, Jesus has raised the dead as he called Lazarus out of the tomb. Jesus is a mighty king. Perhaps you need to know again today that Jesus is a mighty king. And so I pray for a renewed faith and confidence in your power, oh God. I pray for renewed confidence and faith, Jesus, that you are mighty and able to bring change and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you need to know, as we turn the diamond, Jesus is the King of Peace. You know, in war, kings ride horses, but in peace, kings ride donkeys. And Jesus coming on a donkey is a sign of peace. His kingdom is one of peace. His rule is peace. His gospel is peace. The multitudes literally shout, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It resembles what the angels declared when they announced to the shepherds that Jesus had been born. They sang glory in the highest and peace on earth. The multitude sang peace in heaven. The angels sing peace on earth. Jesus brings peace in heaven and on earth. He brings peace between God and God and man, that vertical relationship. And he brings peace between men and men, that horizontal relationship. And so Jesus, I pray for everyone who needs to know today your peace afresh. Come Holy Spirit upon them, bring peace. And I pray for peace in situations that have been termulous and, with dis and had discord. Bring peace to them, I pray. Amen. Maybe you need to know that Jesus is King of creation. There's an interesting interaction between the Pharisees and Jesus. Basically, they want Jesus to silence the crowds, to stop the commotion. But Jesus responds to them with this retort. Lily read it. I tell you, he says, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He's basically saying creation must praise. Creation must praise its creator. And if those created in God's image don't praise, then the very rocks will cry out. If people don't praise, then the pavement will. 
Jesus is the king of creation. Everything was made for him and it's all going to him. So I pray for those amongst us who have struggled to praise you over lockdown. King of creation, stir us again to praise you. May you put new songs in our mouths. May we have hymns of praise to you, O oh God, I pray. Amen. And finally, the last facet we see just in this passage is that Jesus is the compassionate king. When he drew near, the passage says, and saw the city, he wept over it. It's thought that the route that Jesus took was such that as he got towards Jerusalem, he was at a position that he could see right across the city. And as he looks out at the vastness of the number of people swelling around there, he weeps. He looks at a city that is so caught up in religion, that is so caught up in the temple and its rituals, that it can't see that the true temple has just entered into Jerusalem. The true temple has just arrived. Jesus is the true temple. The temple is the place where God meets man, and that's Jesus. Jesus weeps over the brokenness of a city because he knows the consequence of what will happen. He knows what's going to happen as they reject God and their consequent destruction. Jesus cares. He cares as much about those who don't know him as he does about those who do know him. And so today, Jesus, I ask that we would see again you, the compassionate King. Would you give us your heart that we would have the same compassion towards others, that those, to those that don't yet know you as you have towards them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Behold, your King is coming to you riding on a donkey. Jesus is like this multifaceted diamond that as we turn it, we glimpse new beauty, new facets, glimpses of who he is. And so Jesus, we come before you and declare again, you are the divine king. You are the God king. You are the humble king. You're the one who came not in majesty, but in meekness. You are the righteous king. You do whatever is right. You are our saviour king. Jesus, you are our Passover lamb. You are a mighty king. You have done mighty works. We praise you for them. You are the king of peace. You bring peace with God. You bring peace with men. We praise you as king of creation. May we be those that keep praising you, that to keep declaring your glory. And we praise you as compassionate king. May we be those that care for others and have the same compassion as you do. Jesus, you are king of kings. You are ruler of the kings of the earth. We acknowledge your greatness and your glory, your power and might and wisdom. Jesus, be glorified amongst us, we pray. Amen. I just want to encourage us 
as we head into this week of prayer, we come every time we pray to an amazing King. This is the King that we come to. Let's bear that in mind as we come this week and pray. God bless you.